Welcome to The Carlina Show, where ordinary people share their hero's journey. I'm your host, Carlina Angwin, and this is episode 35 of the podcast. My guest today is Corbin Cabrera. Corbin was 13 years old when his father, Army Lieutenant Colonel David Cabrera, was killed by a Taliban suicide bomber in Afghanistan in 2011. Two years later, Corbin discovered a program that connected other children who lost a parent in combat or the war at home. Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors, or TAPS, brings people together in D.C. each Memorial Day weekend to help kids connect, play games, and process their grief. A couple years later, Corbin would become a legacy mentor and start mentoring a little girl and her sister. If you enjoyed this episode, you may like the other episodes that highlight military families and veterans. For example, Episode 9, Army Veteran and Working Dog Trainer with Damian Berry. Episode 16, Ride for 22 and Veteran Suicide Awareness with Steve Exine. Episode 31, At Ease Soldier, a Vietnam Veteran Uses Death with Dignity with Widow Juanita Ramsey. Or Episode 34, with Navy SEAL and Transformers actor Remy Adelike. On a personal note, I was a guest on the Peace Corps Revisited podcast last week. I discuss arriving in Panama the day before 9-11, working in a poultry cooperative, and killing over 500 scorpions with a machete. I'll link to this episode in the show notes. If you would like to support the Carlina Show podcast, tell your friends about it or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube. You can also follow the Carlina Show on Facebook and Instagram. And now I bring you... Corbin Cabrera. Well, Corbin, I'm really excited to have you on the show. And I'm glad um, to be here. <laughs> well, good, good. So, tell me a little bit about about you, where you live, where you go to school, and uh, just a little bit about what your role is at Taps. All right. Well, uh, to start, I live in Bryan College Station area. I'm going to school at Texas A&M University, following the family tradition on that one. Um, and with Taps, I just serve as a uh, as a what we call a legacy mentor. So someone who has lost a family member, gone through the program and is now mentoring the program for themselves. Okay. Okay. So you said that you're, you're fulfilling the tradition of going to A&M. Is there someone else in your family that went there? So both of my parents graduated from A&M along with one of my aunts and one of my uncles uh, on my dad's side. And then one of my uncles on my mom's side. So yeah, we have a, uh, you know, maroon blood kind of pumping through the body. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. So, um, so let's go back to your childhood and just tell me a couple memories you have of your father. Um, I mean, there's a, you know, there's a whole list of them. Some of my favorite ones don't always translate to stories very well, mm-hmm. but, um, for example, he used to call, he used to have an alarm on his phone. And so no matter what time of day it was, or no matter what he was doing at that time of day, um, on the weekends, he would drop whatever it was and call my sister and I to come, you know, talk to us every chance we could, because sometimes the time zone just didn't work out, especially when he was in Germany. So, 
um, he would call at that specific time. So we could you know, call and talk to him. And he and I would talk on the phone for on average two to three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be everything from telling stupid jokes that never made sense. Um, I vividly remember a conversation where I was giving him a, uh, why did the chicken cross the road joke? And, uh, he didn't, he, you know, he asked why, and I literally just spoke in gibberish for five minutes and he thought <laughs> he acted like it was funny. Uh, you know, at the time I thought it was funny. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's funny. So tell me but, some uh, other, other memories you have. Uh, so we used to travel a lot. Um, so one time we rented an RV and went from uh, Beaumont. We picked up my cousin when he graduated high school and then road tripped from Beaumont, Texas, all the way up to um, Washington State. We lived in Olympia at that point. So uh, we just helped move into the new house. Um, we went to Europe with another one of my cousins when she graduated. Uh, there's, if you notice a trend here, it's because... Mm-hmm. My father promised all of his nieces, nephews, and kids, if they graduated high school, he would take them on a trip. Mm-hmm. And it would have to, you know, fit in, his, in the budget and depending on where they were, you know, changes the options. But um, when my cousin Megan graduated, we happened to, or he happened to be stationed in, in Germany. So we flew over there with Megan and touched down and they got to explore eight countries in two months. Mm-hmm. Wow. Some of the best pictures of the my dad's sister and I are from a trip to Paris we took. And all of us have those you know, bright blue eyes. And mm-hmm. it's looks really nice near the Eiffel Tower. Yeah. Um, but just like little things like that. We would take day trips with just, you know, my dad, my sister and I. Um, and we'd have whole family trips with my little brothers, my stepmom, my cousin, all of us just going and doing just random adventures. Yeah, yeah. Was there a time when he like, um, like helped you out when something wasn't, you know, going right in your life, or you were upset about something? Is there a time when he sort of, you know, helped you feel better or helped kind of help you process something? Um. Yeah. I mean, he was my person. Mm-hmm. Um. So, growing up. You know, our family has always used the term, you know, our person. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always one person you're closest to. And, you know, for my sister, it was my mom. And for me, it was my dad. And so even though my parents had separated when I was very young, if anything went wrong, I was just, you know, ticked off the world. or You know, no matter what it was, I could just shoot him a text or an email um, or call him if he was available. And he would just talk me through it, you know, kind of make jokes about it. Um but in the way of like, hey, just cheer up. Like it's nothing that's going to, you know, change your life. It's just annoying in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yes, those happen quite frequently. You know, as a kid growing up, and you know, you don't always agree with your mom or your grandparents and or your sister for that matter. And so anytime I was just really annoyed, I could talk to him. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's kind of where that one stuck out. Right. And was he in the military? Um, since you were born or, um, when did he, when did he join the military? Yeah, I think he joined the military in 1996. So two years before I was born, um, I could be a little bit off on the year. Um, Mm -hmm. but ever since I was born, he was in the military. Okay. And what type of work did he do? Um, he did a lot of, uh, social work. So everything, you know, that you would think of a, a counselor or, um, he worked a lot with children and at least later in his career. Mm-hmm. And he taught as well. So he would teach psychology. 
Mm-hmm. And he was in which branch of the military? Army. He was in the army. Okay. Okay. And um, how many deployments did he have? Um, deployments that I can remember are the two. Um, he had one in Iraq in 2006, and then his final deployment in Afghanistan in 2011. Okay, okay. Um, so how old were you when he went to Afghanistan? Uh, I was 13. Okay. And um, before he left, tell me what those days or weeks were like. Um, so my sister and I found out when we went to visit my dad's stepmom, uh, over the summer, mm-hmm. and we got a babysitter for the little boys, and we went to a barbecue restaurant. And I remember us sitting there, and they had, we knew like we were going to hear about something. We just kind of weren't sure what it was. And my dad explained to my sister and I that um, one of the guys in the unit that was overseas got injured, and he volunteered to take up the spot. Um, so that would shorten his deployment from a year long deployment to about a six month deployment. And he wasn't going to be, you know, in harm's way in any way, shape or form, um, which was a lie because he talks his way into things and that just kind of, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing led to another. Um, but he, he very much stressed to us that he was going over there to kind of fill in the role that was needed. Mm-hmm. And that way, since his numbers were already getting kind of high from the last deployment, he needed he was going to get sent on another deployment soon. Mm-hmm. He said, might as well take this one. That's going to be shorter. And then, you know, after that, we were a little, we weren't happy with it. It's not like we could do much. At the time, my sister was 12 and I was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he went to, I think it was Georgia, um, and he did, went and did some training, Um and then went off to Afghanistan. But during that time, his schedule was very different. All the way from when he went to Georgia, about a month before his deployment, and then to when he died, I think I got to send him one or two emails. Like, our schedules just did not mm-hmm. ever correspond. Like the only time he could call, I guess, was about 5 in the morning. And, you know, we're still in school, and there's only so much you can do in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh Mm-hmm. And so I sent him an email. I booted up this, our old computer at my, at my mom's house, which took, you know, an hour to lock, to turn on and then another hour to connect to the internet. Mm-hmm. Good old fashioned. Um, and I sent an email and later I found out that that email that I sent was the morning that he was killed. Mm-hmm. And so the, I had, I think one more email conversation with him right before that. Um, so it was, it was hard. Because we didn't get to communicate for too long before he passed. Right. And so before before he left, you said that you um, there's nothing really you could do about him leaving. So um, how long was he over there before you got the news? Um, I, th- I want to say he left in late August, mm-hmm. uh, early September maybe. So a month or two months. Um, mm-hmm. so he, he wasn't over there for very long before this happened, but, and then explain the day when you, when you found out. Um, so funny enough, when the doorbell rang, 
Um, I thought it was going to be a buddy of mine who was planning on coming over that day. He lived right down the street, so his parents would just drive him over, drop him off, and we'd hang out, mm-hmm. play Mario Kart and whatnot. Um, well, I hadn't heard from him saying that he was on his way, so I texted him and I was like, "Hey, are you, you know, are you on your way?" And he's like, "No, we haven't left yet." I was like, "Huh." Mm-hmm. So me thinking I'm being sneaky, <clears throat> looked out my bedroom window, which had a clear view of the street. Mm-hmm. And I saw a silver car parked. And I was like, well, that's odd because, you know, he doesn't even drive a silver car and whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the, the doorbell rang another time. And my mom was a little annoyed. She was like, oh, it's, you know, somebody trying to sell something. They just saw you looking through the window. Uh, and we kind of, you know, bickered about that a little bit. And I was like, no, I promise. Like, I got super sneaky about it. Um, and then the, I think they rang the doorbell a few more times and they left. And I remember talking to my sister and just being like, yeah, that's, that was really weird. Like, they stood there for an unusual amount of time, even if they knew we were home. Mm-hmm. My sister and I just start watching TV and hanging out, just waiting for the day to go on. And then my mom got a phone call. And it was from my stepmom, because my mom and stepmom were civil with each other for, you know, that entire duration. They, but they, you know, mm-hmm. my family did a very good job of keeping us out of anything that happened behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're actually good friends now, but uh, my stepmom called my mom to talk to her about it, and my mom hadn't heard the news, so she found out because of my stepmom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my sister and I used to, you know, try to, like I said earlier, be sneaky and stuff, and so uh, we heard something going on, and we walked to the back of the house, and my mom was crying, and my grandparents were on a cruise, so our first thought was that one of my grandparents died. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, that hit us hard. And so, you know, my mom had shoot us off and closed the door. And so my sister and I sat at the end of the hallway crying because we were thinking that one of our grandparents passed away. Mm-hmm. And then my mom came out and sat us down on the couch. And my mom was the one who had to break the news. Uh, and then about 30 to 30 minutes to an hour later or so, the, you know, the people from the military came back and rang the doorbell again. At that point, we knew. Um, so they came in, we went through the, you know, what you, what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a very emotional time, uh, obviously, mm-hmm. but we did not expect, we expected one news, which was already bad and got news that was, uh, you know, not, right. nothing we could have expected. So we got blindsided by that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And, yeah, it was, it was an interesting day. So what were the next few months or so like I mean did you continue going to school um I skipped the the three days or so um at the time I was playing football so my my coaches you know all sent me sent me letters um and or called Mm -hmm. my I was in band as well so the band all signed a card and sent it to my house um we had family and friends that started just bringing, you know, food and stuff over and sat with us. And, um, that night I just sat down and I remember vividly watching Jeff Dunham, um, because I just needed something that wasn't life mm-hmm. <laughs> on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I skipped the next few days of school. Um, and I remember going back to school and just being me, which mm-hmm. sounds weird, but in the sense of like, I didn't, change how I acted Mm -hmm. I just went to school 
and put on the same face I put on every day. And was just like, all right, cool. Like, we're going to joke around. We're going to you know, make jokes of this, make jokes of that. And that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, then there were a few, you know, the next, the upcoming months had funeral after funeral after reception after, uh, you know, we saw a bunch of family we hadn't seen in a long time. And with all of the grief comes, you know, particular family drama. And so, like, you know, everything happened mm-hmm. in that duration. But those six months, I mean, even now are still just ones that I don't remember very well mm-hmm. because there was so much going on. My 13-year-old head kind of just shut it out. Right, right. And how long after that did you discover TAPS or did TAPS become a part of your life? And what does TAP stand for? <laughs> TAPS stands for Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't find out about it. I think I found out about it a year and a half or so later. Um, August came up to me, my stepmom, and was saying, you know, hey, you should come do this. Like, it's really fun. Um, you can room with, you know, your brothers and I. Um, I you know, I'd love to have you out here. Mm-hmm. And at first, I was like, I don't, I don't need help. Like, this is stupid. This is just going to be us and me going to sit in a room to watch kids cry. Mm-hmm. Like, very much teenage boy saying screw feelings Mm -hmm. um and then finally i was like you know what i want to go because i want to go see my little brothers i want to hang out you know that it it could be fun Mm -hmm. and that was in my first year was 2014 um Mm -hmm. so only i went because my sister uh did ballet for most of her life and their reception or their recital Mm -hmm. i think it was called spring show always happened on uh, Memorial Day weekend, which is when tax occurs. Mm-hmm. And then my mom stayed behind, obviously, to support my sister. And I said, okay, well, I'm just going to go go to ta- uh, go do taps. Mm-hmm. And the first year, you know, I kind of liked it. I thought it, it was all right. Uh, I made a few friends. Um, I actually met my mentor and now, like, really good friend, mm-hmm. Daniel, that year. Um, he was not my mentor at the time, but... Um, I met him just because he was in the same age group as I was in. He was mentoring a, a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next year I went, I hadn't talked to my first mentor at all. Mm-hmm. And Daniel became my mentor kind of from there on out. So I was, Daniel was my mentor the next year. Um, and then we had an, an excess number of mentors the next year, which was really good considering, you know, we, we try to do a case or a, a mentee per mentor, mm-hmm. a one-on-one basis. Um, but a lot of times the older groups don't get to have that. The younger kids are prioritized on that list, and then it goes up by age group. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually got to hang out with uh, a friend of mine, uh, Liz, who's a wonderful woman. Um, and, you know, just throughout the years, I've gotten to gain friendships, mm-hmm. know people, and just have everything kind of go on top of each other. But no, I did not initially find taps or initially mm-hmm. was open to taps. Mm-hmm. So you said Daniel was your, who was your first mentor? Um, my first mentor, I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Okay. Um, I had no contact with him after. It was kind of a lot. Um, we have a lot of mentors that come in and, and they mm-hmm. kind of hear what the kids have gone through and are going through and it scares them mm-hmm. for valid reasons. It's not the easiest thing to talk about. And these are uh, active duty, are these active duty military or are these veterans that are the mentors? 
Um, it can be both. Mm-hmm. But this particular guy was active duty. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And so we see a lot of people that come in for one year and kind of get scared off. Um, like how so? Like why? Like how do they get scared off? Um, our culture as a whole doesn't really like to talk about death. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when, when you have to hear, you know, kids talk about it, it's a whole different kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you know how to handle that? If you don't even know how to talk to your, your friends or coworkers about something like that, how are you going to talk to a kid about that? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I love that they're at least giving it a try. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the dude never made a promise to me of like, oh, yes, I'll, I'll keep in touch or I'll you know, be here next year or so on and so forth. Yeah, yeah. And I just happened to make connections with people who had been there for a few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's funny looking back at it now. Like I have, like I said, Daniel is one of my good friends. Mm-hmm. I'm friends with a lot of the mentors that were in that group that aged up as I aged up mm-hmm. and the mentees that have aged up. And so we now have this like little group and mm-hmm. uh, we coined the the phrase dead dad club years and years ago. And we mm-hmm. just had like a group chat and then a group Snapchat and stuff like that. And we all keep in touch and it's just like a way to, mm-hmm. to interact with those people on a regular basis. So what sort of activities do they do where they kind of create an environment where kids can share and talk about death? What sort of act- activities do they have? Uh, um, well, that's, see, that's a really fun part about taps and I love it a lot is that it's not just that. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a good job at mixing in, you know, we have playtime or, you know, we go outside and throw the ball around or we play board games or Jenga or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you rein it back in. And then there's, there's some grief work that you do, um, depending on the ages, depends on the grief work. Mm -hmm. Uh, as kids get older, they start to talk about it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, but when they're younger, you know, you you do arts and crafts and that's just how they express themselves generally. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so it always changes depending on the age range. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it changes on who your senior mentors are as well. Um, we have senior mentors and group leaders that work together to make a curriculum and say, okay, hey, look, we, this is a good balance of, you know, fun activities and grief activities. And here's some ideas. And they, mm-hmm. you know, they bounce ideas off of each other to make it, to make each group different every year. Yeah. While also, you know, being as good as it can be. Right, right. Can you give me an example of what an activity that it, that delves into grief work, like what that looks like? One of the things we did this year with um, with the young kids, I mentored the, I think there were seven and eight-year-olds this year. Mm-hmm. And we read this book called The Color Monster, I think. Let me Google this real quick to make sure I'm talking about the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, yes, it's called The Color Monster. And so the monster would change colors depending on the emotions that he felt. Um, and then we used that, like that analogy to stuff a water bottle, like a clear water bottle full of, they called Orbeez, mm-hmm. like the little beads that grow in the water. Mm-hmm. And so they filled those um, water bottles with Orbeez of different feelings that they felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that way they could, and we went around the room and they started sharing like, oh, I put in a lot of these because I feel this, or, you know, I put a mix of them because I just thought it looked cool. You know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. whatever way they want to express themselves, they can do it. And there's, you know, the no judgment, the no no holding back. No one's going to laugh at you for 
doing something one way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you'd be surprised. There, like I said, seven and eight year olds, and some of them sat there and filled this entire water bottle with just different colors. So they picked it between different Orbeez and did like four rows of blue Orbeez and then four rows of red, and you know mm-hmm. they just put them in the color stacks so it would all be organized. Right. Um, but it's just whichever way they want to express themselves. And that was one of the big ones this year mm-hmm. that I thought went really well. Mm-hmm. So the first year you went as a mentee, you were 14? Is that right? Eighth grade? Uh, I would have been about 2014. I would have been 15. Okay. 15. Okay. And so after you went your your first year, um, when you came back home, did you notice a difference or did you... Um, like what were your feelings towards, uh, your, ex- your first experience with taps? Um, I don't want to say I felt a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a lot of people mm-hmm. and the way that I work personally is I network a lot. So it wasn't a different experience for me mm-hmm. having, you know, having the ability to travel a lot as a kid and then coming back and just being like, Oh, well now I just know X amount of new people. Mm-hmm. So Yes, it wasn't really a difference, but I kind of saw the opportunity to to start meeting more people that were in similar situations, mm-hmm. ask about, you know, their experiences, and just have different friends that lived in different places, which I've always cherished. Like, yeah, it wasn't a, there was a change, so mm-hmm. to speak, but I did know that they, I now had a different community, which mm-hmm. we don't talk about sensitive or deep stuff too often, mm-hmm. but especially when we started that that group we started a group message i think in 2015 mm-hmm. the next year we went um and we started going to you know snowball express is a different one that we went to and uh the group of us still had um connections so we, we sent out a message in the group text and was like hey who's here and we met up and hung out and then um as we went through high school anytime something big happened in one of our lives and even if it was emotional like we would have these multiple hour long text messaging conversations between at that time it was only six of us mm-hmm. and so it like I said it was just a different type of community that was kind of reassuring right. to have right and the people in this group they had all lost a parent uh yes okay okay um and what was the first year that you became a mentor um 2017 would have been the first year that I was a mentor Mm-hmm. Um, and did you know who your mentee was before you went or do you meet them when you get there? Uh, yeah, no, I had no clue who it was. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what age range I was going to go for. Um, and so, uh, the group that I was talking to you about before, we kind of said, Hey, let's start with the young ones and let's age up with them mm-hmm. because there's a, there's an age barrier where you can't mentor 13 and up unless you're 23 I think or 25 I don't remember it off mm-hmm. the top of my head but um and so like if we start very young we can age up with the kids if they choose to age up with us mm-hmm. and just kind of be there with them through their entire journey mm-hmm. um because a lot of us had that I had Daniel for essentially three years uh, my friend Taylor had John for all of her years as she went um Thomas had uh Kevin and so on and so forth like we just had these people mm-hmm. that were always with us. And so it was really cool to, to be able to give back in that same way and, and go back year after year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started it with the uh, five and six year olds, mm-hmm. which was terrifying. 
Um, but it ended up, you know, being a lot of fun. They, different group leaders assign kids at different ways. Some of them just let things happen naturally. Some of them read off some of the intake sheets and say, hey, look, we have this person. Here's some key features. Is anyone particularly, you know, aligned in the same interest, interests? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because some of them want male mentors. Some of them want female mentors, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we ended up doing that year. And I happened to get uh, Brinley Thompson, who has been my mentee for three years now. And you met her when she was how old? When she was five. When she was five. And so explain what it was like meeting her and um, having, you know, like the first conversations with her. Um, well, most kids at that age are, are pretty shy, um, especially after things that have happened in their life like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was, it was more of a, she had to kind of get used to what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so you kind of just, you're there, you, you ask if they want to play games and, uh, you just kind of wait to, to get a response, play games, draw, you know, whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, the group of purple shirts, uh, which are the legacy mentors, um, had all of our kids, you know, running around with all the other kids. And, uh, at multiple points during the weekend, we were walking around with, you know, as a, as a human jungle gym, really, mm-hmm. uh, there's a picture from, from 2017 of me having one kid hanging off of each arm and then one kid on each leg <laughs> as I was trying to walk. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it, you know, it's a process just like when you meet someone new, you're not instantly trusting of them, especially if sensitive information. And so you kind of just, you don't pry, I guess you kind of poke a little bit and you're just like, Hey, where are you? Like, where are you going to open up? And then you just let the relationship bloom as it will naturally mm-hmm. uh, just have to kind of give it a little head start because you only have three days. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, the five-year-olds, do they, that, do they know why they're there? Um, do they know? Yeah. Like, yes. do they, okay. Do they completely understand? Not always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's. You know, it's it, it's a case by case basis, I guess. Right. Um, and then, uh, what is your relationship like after taps? Do you st- talk on the phone, or do you, do you stay in touch, or how does so, that work? So, what I did was I gave Brinley's mom, Robin, my phone number, and I said, "Hey, you know, if y'all like to talk throughout the year, I I would love to hear from you." Uh, Robin gave her my like gave me her number. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I text them or call them occasionally. Um, I try to do so at least a few times a year just cause I, I am interested in what, in what they're doing in, in their life. And, um, all three of them, Brinley, her mom, Robin and her sister Ansley are very close to me mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. And so I'll talk to all of them now when I call them on the phone. Um, and they all, you know, we just kind of take turns at who gets to talk. Mm-hmm. And while I'm in college, you know, it's a very busy schedule. Um, so last semester I was doing you know, 15 hours plus work and this semester I'm doing 19 hours and I just kind of got a fine time to, uh, to be able to call. But it very much was one of those things where I said, Hey, look, the door is open. Mm-hmm. If you don't want me to talk to y'all, just let me know. Like it's, I am not going to overstep my boundary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just showing the, the interest really kind of shows a lot. Mm-hmm. 
And how has your relationship, um, her name is Brinley? Yes. How has your relationship with Brinley changed over the past three years? Well, um, at first she was kind of scared of me. I'm not going to lie. I'm not a tiny dude. So um, it was, I guess, intimidating is the right word. Um, But now she'll see me and uh, she calls me Corby and she'll just scream it out and run towards me and give me a hug. um, Now it's not just her, it's her and her sister. And I give them both hugs and I go to her mom and give her a hug. Um, But it's, it's grown from this, you know, I don't know who you are to a, you know, I can kind of put up with you. You're fun to climb on and and try to tackle and stuff like that to, you know, if she wants to talk about something, we'll talk about it, whether it's anything from Barbies to sports to, you know, who knows what else. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I even, I went and visited them in uh, the spring. I was up before my stepmom moved down to Texas. I was up visiting her and, Brinley lives about, I think, 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. So I was like, hey, August, can I take your car, go spend, you know, a few hours? So I just drove out and got to hang out with the three of them and, you know, play. We played in the backyard a lot mm-hmm. uh, and then went to Mod Pizza. So it, it's established, like I said, it's grown a lot and in ways that I can't even put into words mm-hmm. um, just to kind of see the excitement, I guess. Um, you know, when she sees me or we get to talk about taps or, you know, mm-hmm. when she talks about her softball games and she just gets really excited. Now, like I have been let into certain parts mm-hmm. of her life that other people aren't allowed into. Yeah. So do you talk to her about your experience and what you've been through? Yeah. I mean, if it comes up and if she asks about it, uh, I very much don't say, Hey, look, well, what, when it happened to me, this is what I like it's, mm-hmm. I kind of, I, I take the, uh, the passenger approach and I'm just like, okay, you, you take me where you want to go in the conversation if it ever, you know, comes up. And then if she wants to hear about me, I'll tell her about me and what happened with me. But, mm-hmm. you know, at this stage in her life, it's not really easy to empathize for somebody else who went through something similar. Mm-hmm. And... I'm sure we'll talk about it more as the years go on. But mm-hmm. for right now, I haven't told her a whole lot other than about certain feelings that I've gone through and stuff like that. Right, right. And how have you, as a person, how have you changed since you were 13? Oh, God, since I was 13 in just about every way. <laughs> um, so I, I think one of the biggest things is my ability to connect to people has skyrocketed. Um, I wasn't particularly bad at it when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Um, but just kind of having the experiences that I've had um, along with, and that's not just talking about, you know, my dad dying when I was young, but, um, you know, getting to mentor for TAPS, getting to go to different events with TAPS and getting to make you know relationships with other organizations that, are now like working with TAPS, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gotten to meet people from all around the world and you know hang out with them and, and build relationships. Um, and I think that that's one of the biggest ways that I've grown. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, just going through 
my own battles without taps and then going through the certain things with taps um and then just like having the the core group of connections that i've made mm-hmm. um i know how to compartmentalize with certain things that happen in my life and i'm like okay this is something that i can talk to my taps people about mm-hmm. or my you know friends that we've just known each other from taps but we're friends on a much deeper level than that now mm-hmm. um or even just you know i'm like okay like the average joe can hear about you know the crummy day at work but the average joe doesn't want to hear oh well yesterday was the day of my dad's death or like the anniversary of my dad's death kind of thing and you're just mm-hmm. like, ah, well, we're just gonna kind of you know. right right so what are what are some myths that you think people carry about gold star families or um or even the military in general um i mean i don't know of any myths in particular um or misunderstandings i guess would be better yeah i think a lot of people just assume that with the military comes a certain form of or a certain certain uh like hardness mm-hmm. um which isn't always true. Like, I will say it's a lot easier being raised in a military family to put on that face of, hey, look, nothing's going to affect me. But in the same time, that's a stigma that happens a lot with people in the military. And people are just like, oh, yeah, they're fine. Mm-hmm. And we have, you know, the whole suicide epidemic, which is mm-hmm. becoming a, a more and more, you know, known thing. So, it's not so much a, a myth that's believed as much anymore, but it's still one of those hard things to take out of your subconscious. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when, you know, a lot of the kids at TAPS are kids whose parents have uh, taken their own life. Mm-hmm. And um, there are, I don't know, I, I don't know of enough because I don't focus on other people's views of mm-hmm. kind of what we do or what the military does as a whole. Mm-hmm. It's just been part of my life. And if someone doesn't agree with it, I'll sit down and have a conversation with them, but it's, it's not worth kind of listening into the chatter of, yeah. Oh, well, the military does this, the military does this kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, what are your, what are your professional ambitions? Are you planning to join the military? Um, I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Even if I do, um, you know, go in as an officer after I graduate, mm-hmm. or, you know, I may do national, res- uh, the reservist. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a maybe. You know, it kind of just depends on what I get offered after college. Mm-hmm. Uh, my end goal is to work with computers um, in any form of the, or in any sense of the word. Um, my, I am a technology management major with a minor in business, and I'm about to apply for a minor in cybersecurity as well. Hmm. Uh, I just love work. Networks are what I especially like, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with computer systems. Uh, but eventually, that's what I want to, uh, to shoot for, something in that, that industry. Mm-hmm. And what year are you in college? Um, so I'm a senior in college. Okay. But I will be... I won't graduate until spring of 2021 because I switched my major, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. late as most people do. But yeah. 
I thought it would be more worth my while to do something I really enjoyed than sitting in a sitting in a different uh, major and graduating early. Right, right. And then what about your um, personal interests? Do you have any hobbies or anything that you enjoy doing? Um, I mean, that goes back to computers. I very much love computers. I've built my own computer. I've built quite a few of my friends' computers. Um, I, I take after my father in the sense of the technology field. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 3D printer going in the other room, printing off you know different models and stuff. Um, but outside of electronics and programming, um, I am known to be the guy who has all the animals. <laughs> um, I have a dog and two cats sitting behind me, <laughs> and I have a saltwater fish tank in the other room. Um, mm-hmm. And so those are where my main hobbies kind of rely. As most guys do, I, I do enjoy you know playing video games and, mm-hmm. and you know, stuff like that. But um, if it doesn't have to do with electronics or animals, it kind of comes second. Right. <laughs> you know, my room's the one decked out with the surround sound, the sound bar, um, yeah. double monitors on my computer, the giant gaming PC. Like, if I can get my hands on something and just break it open, mess with it, try to make it better and then put it back together, I'm all about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool. So does your do you listen to podcasts? Is that um, your, I've listened your to, generation? Yeah, so I like podcasts a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what I'm doing, kind of depends on um, on what I listen to. I tend to listen to a lot of music as I'm you know, zoning into, uh, you know, working on my computer or working through a new program. Mm -hmm. Um, But on drives when I'm just driving by myself, which kind of happens a lot, I like to travel. I didn't mention that a second ago, but that's one of them. And so if I'm, you know, really in the mood to focus and and listen, I'll listen to uh, uh, one of my favorites is Art of Manliness. It just goes into a bunch of different topics, and they call in authors of different books and uh, kind of breaks it down. I listen uh, to that. I listen to the Art of Manliness, Manliness as well. That's so funny. Yeah, I I love that podcast. Um, and there's a few more like some comedy ones that I listen to just to, if I'm losing track of you know, okay, well I have to focus on the road. You know, it's getting kind of late. Uh-huh. Put on a comedy podcast, laugh a little bit. It helps keep me up and you know my blood pumping. Right. Uh, murder mysteries are always fun ones. Um, yeah. So I've listened to like Serial and. Uh, What's the other one? Um, Up and Vanished. Oh, okay. Uh, both very good crime podcasts. So it kind of just depends. I'll, I'll switch around. Um, mm-hmm. And there's even some tech ones that I've, I've listened to. And um, when I drove to California this summer, uh, my buddy and I listened to a lot of the, uh, the you know, the alien and urban legend ones. Mm-hmm. When just driving through uh, Arizona and New Mexico. And, yeah. all that and just like, oh, okay, well. Those are good states uh, to listen to Alien podcasts. <laughs> yeah, and I showed him this whole thing on Skinwalkers and uh, Skinwalker Ranch, and he was uh-huh. like, "Wow, uh, he's part Native American," so he's like, "Nope, nope, nope." <laughs> I was like, "Hey, you wanted to listen to this kind of stuff? I'm all about this kind of stuff." <laughs> so, how how old are you? Uh, I'm 21. 21. Okay, you are the youngest podcast guest um, oh, on my show, that. so that's I know that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I got to keep that record for at least a little bit. So yeah. you got to at least promise me that for at least three episodes, you're not going to try to get somebody younger. Oh, definitely not. I got a lot of old people coming on. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Older than me, Older younger than, than you. somebody else. Yes. It's, yes. it's all relative, I that's, suppose. That's right. <laughs> so, um, so do you have any other thoughts or reflections or anything else that you wanted to share? Um, no, I just appreciate the fact that I can, you know, kind of share what TAPS is about and some of the work that, you know, a lot of us do that I don't want to say it's overlooked, but it's, it's not front page news worthy kind of thing. So mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know about programs like this. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned about it from, from your stepmom, August. Shout, shout out to August. <laughs> she's a, hey, if you're listening, a, love you, August. Yes, love you, August. I've, yeah, I've known her for about three years now. She's, she's great. And I learned about TAPS from, from talking to her. So, um, yeah. So, well, Corbin, it's been a pleasure talking to you and, and, well. and hearing your story and how you've, you know, um, been impacted by, you know, the mentors at TAPS and then also impacted your mentees and it sounds like you have a lifelong friendship so yes yes indeed yeah yeah so well i appreciate you coming on and and i wish you the best all right well thank you for having me all right you take care all right you too bye